0: Chapter 25 of The Goddess, a Demon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Blethering Ape. The Goddess, a Demon by Richard Marsh. Chapter 25 The Goddess. I had been wondering, while Lawrence had been speaking, where, exactly, in what he said, was the dividing line between truth and falsehood, between sanity and madness. I could not satisfy myself upon the point, either then or afterwards. That the wildness of his speech and manner was an indication of the disorder of his mind was obvious. That in his brain there were the fires of delirium was sure, that the tale which he told was not at all raving was as certain." It is probable that the life of dissipation which he had led had told upon his physical health, and that, as usual, the body had reacted on the mind. Yet there was such an air of conviction in his bearing, and so much method in his madness, that even in his most amazing statements one could not but suspect, at least, a basis of fact. And it was because this was so that we listened, fascinated, to assertions which savoured of a world of dreams and hung, with breathless interest, on words which told, as if they were everyday occurrences, of things of which it is not good to even think as coming within the sweep of possibility. He held up his finger, repeating his last words in the form of an inquiry. Hark! Don't you hear her laughing now? I know not what we heard. I know not. We had been following, one by one, the steps which marked the progress of disorder in this man's brain, until our own minds had become unbalanced, too. But I thought that I heard the sound of a woman's laughter, and it was because it appeared to come from behind the screen that I stepped forward to move the barrier, so that we might learn what it concealed. Lawrence sprang in front of me. Don't! He cried. She's there! You shall see her. I'll show you her at the proper time. I could have thrust him aside, but there was that about him which dissuaded me, and when the lady, laying her hand upon my arm, drew me away from him, I let him tell his tale in his own fashion. He passed his fingers across his brow, as if in an effort to collect his thoughts. Well, the time went forgetting to bring me ease of mind, until Bernstein wrote to ask my brother where it would best meet his convenience to have the bills presented, which were on the point of falling due. It was the usual custom, struck in the Jew. It's the usual custom, Bernstein says, and I'm not denying it. When Philip got the letter, he came red-hot to me, asking what it meant. I had had a bad day or two, and some unpleasant nights, and was feeling hipped just when he came. Besides, His coming took me unawares. I was not expecting him for the present. When I perceived what was in his voice, and in his eyes, and in the twitchings of his hands, I was afraid. I lied to him, pretending that I had no notion of what it was that Bernstein wrote, protesting that any bills which he might hold had nothing at all to do with me. I could see he doubted, but, having no proof positive that what I said was false, he went, warning me what I might expect if it turned out that I had lied. It was good hearing to know what I might expect from him if it turned out that I had lied. I went to Bernstein to implore him to have mercy, though I knew that in him mercy was less frequent than water in a rock. I am a man of business. You had had my money. I am a businessman. He would have none. I found young Moore. I told him that certain bills had been discounted which bore my brother's name, and since he had put it there, I should be compelled, in self-defense, to tell the simple truth. When I put it there, there was nothing on the bills, not a word, I declare it. They were nothing but five blank slips of paper on my sacred word of honor, I will swear to it. He filled them up himself, then he wanted to put it on to me. Yes, it was odd how I wanted to put it upon everyone except myself, very odd indeed. That night I was not happy. I had some conversation with the goddess, from which I derived comfort of a kind, though it was not much, either or quantity or quality. The next day I had brought myself closer to the sticking point, as, I fancy, men are apt to do when they know that the music really is about to play. In the evening I had a game of cards with Ferguson, you remember? I do. You cheated me. I did. Which, again, was odd, for it was the first time I had ever cheated at cards, and it was the last. You went out of the room believing that you would have to pay me eighteen hundred eighty pounds and with, at the bottom of your heart, the knowledge that the man whom you had supposed to be your friend was, after all, a rogue. The consciousness that you had this knowledge was, for me, the top brick. I had chosen to carry myself well in your eyes, and believed I had succeeded. Yet, after all, I'd failed. When you had gone, I turned for consolation to the goddess. Bringing her from my bedroom, I placed her on her own particular stand. I was just about to request her to go through one of her unrivaled performances, when, turning, I saw in the open doorway of my room a lady. Here is that lady now." He waved his hand towards Miss Moore. She gave what seemed to be a start of recollection. I remember. I had knocked at the door again, and then again. No one answered. I tried the handle. The door opened. You were there. Which was most fortunate for me. It was an entrancing figure which I saw, in a cloak all glory, with a face, a face which would haunt the dreams of a happier man than I. It was a late hour for so enchanting a vision to pay a first call upon a single gentleman. "'But when I learned that this was the sister "'of the ingenuous Tom, I understood. "'I understood still more when the lady's tongue "'was once set wagging, "'for sometimes even charming visions do have tongues. "'Dear Tom had told his tale on his own lines. "'It was gospel truth, every word I said to her. "'I'll take my oath it was. "'There's not a doubt you will, "'but as the tale came from the lady's lips to me, "'it seemed surprising. "'I would no idea.' until she told me that I was so old in sin and dear Tom so young. It seemed that I had corrupted the boy's fresh innocence, that I had even taught him how to write, especially other people's names. To me it sounded odd. I had met young Tom, I was beginning to wonder if his sister ever had. I knew something of his history, one could scarcely credit that she knew anything at all. However, one was glad to learn that so fair a lady had so excellent a brother though it seemed unfortunate that he should have such curious associates. Of one of them, she was giving her opinion to the extent of several volumes, when once more the door was opened, this time, I really think, without any preliminary knocking, for I am incapable of suggesting that the lady's voice could, by any possibility, have drowned even a rapping of the knuckles. My brother was the interrupter, the uninvited, unwelcome interrupter of our tete-a-tete, then i knew that the end had come that the game was blown upon that the music would have to be faced i knew this in an instant it was written large all over him he had a trick when he was in a rage of seeming to swell as if the wind of his passion had distended him i had never seen him look so large before he was trembling not with fear his fingers were opening and closing as they were apt to do when the muscles which controlled them reached the point of working by themselves His lips were parted, he drew great breaths, his eyes had moved forward in his head. It did not need more than a single glance at him to enable me to understand that he had learned that I had lied, and that now had come the tug of war. I cannot say if he noticed that I was with a lady. He did not acknowledge her presence if he did, not even by so much as the removal of his hat. So soon as he saw me, he began to edge his way into the room with little awkward jerky movements, which experience had taught me, were the invariable preliminaries to an outburst of insensate fury. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. He repeated the three words, as if he were speaking half to himself and half to me, in a husky voice which was not nice to hear. My first thought was of the goddess, as if he had had, from the beginning, an eye to what would be the proper dramatic effect, When he got so far, Lawrence, with a hasty movement towards the dais, struck the crimson screen so that it came clattering forward onto the floor. Extending his arms on either side of him, he cried, Behold, the goddess! I do not know what the others were prepared to find revealed, nor even what it was which I had myself expected. There had been in my mind a vague anticipation of some incredible horror, something neither human nor inhuman, neither alive nor dead. What I actually did see occasioned me, at first sight, a shock of surprise. A moment's reflection, however, disclosed my own stupidity. Much that I had gone before should have prepared me for exactly this. Only my mental opaqueness could have prevented my seeing to what Lawrence's words directly pointed. And yet, after all, this that I saw did not provide an adequate explanation. I did not, for instance, shed light on what I had seen in my dream. The downfall of the screen had revealed an idol, apparently a Hindu goddess. She squatted on what looked like an ebony pedestal, perhaps a foot or eighteen inches from the floor. This figure was nearly four feet high. It represented a woman squatting on her haunches. Her arms were crossed upon her breast, her fingers interlaced. Two things struck me as peculiar. One, that the whole figure was of a brilliant scarlet. The other, that its maker had managed to impart to it a curious suggestion of life. To this fact, Lawrence himself drew our attention. You see how alive she is? She only needs a touch to fill her with impassioned frenzy. It is for that touch that she waits and watches. It was exactly what I had myself observed. The figure needed only some little thing to give it at least the semblance of actual life. I could not make out of what substance it was compounded, certainly neither wood nor stone. As Philip came at me across the room, I moved towards the goddess. "'Take care,' I said. "'Don't be a fool! Don't you see that there's a lady here?' He did not, or if he did, he showed no signs of doing so. I doubt even if he saw the goddess. It was his way. In his fits of passion, he was like some maddened bull. He had eyes only for the object of his rage. "'I'll kill you!' he kept on muttering, in a voice which fury had made husky don't be an ass, I cried, but he was an ass. Presently, there came the rush which I was looking for. He went for me as the bull goes for the Torador, and instead of me, he met the goddess. It had to be, or I should not have lived to tell the tale. As it chanced, the goddess was between us. I had in my fingers this little cord, you see, I have it here. My scarlet beauty was an obstacle of which he took no account at all he made as if he would dash her into splinters and scatter them about the room. But the goddess is not so easily to be brushed aside. As he rushed at her, she leaped at him, like this. Suddenly, throwing out his arms, he cried in a loud voice, Take me, for I am yours, O thou goddess of the scarlet hands! How exactly it all happened, even now I find it hard to say. As Lawrence sprang forward, the figure rose to its feet, and in an instant was alive. It opened its arms. From its fingertips came knives. Stepping forward, it gripped Lawrence with its steel-clad hands, with a grip from which there was no escaping. From every part of its frame, gleaming blades had sprung. Against this cheval de frise, it pressed him again and again, twirling him round and round, moving him up and down so that the weapons pierced and hacked back and front even from its eyes, mouth, and nostrils had sprung knives. It kept jerking its head backwards and forwards, so that it could stab with them at his face and head. And, all the while, from somewhere came the sound of a woman's laughter, that dreadful sound which I had heard in my dream. End of chapter 25